This episode of the podcast is brought to you by a realtor that is the most supportive of local businesses and brands that I've ever come across. Her name is Laura Lee Smith, and she is in the Bryan College Station, Texas, and surrounding areas. And if you're in the market to buy or sell a home, or you just have questions about the market, should I buy, should I sell, should I get ready to sell, whatever it is, in these crazy times, Laura Lee has all the answers. So give her a call or text her at any time, and she'll have a free conversation with you about it. You'll end up using her as your realtor. She'll end up finding you your dream home that you never thought you could find at the price that you wanted it. And then you'll ride off into the sunset. That's the way Laura Lee makes you feel when Whenever you use her to find a home, like you're the hero at the end of a movie that rides off in the sunset with everything they ever wanted. So give her a call or text her at any time. Her number is 979-218-2315. That's 979-218-2315. My guest today on the podcast is the owner of BVMMA, former UFC fighter Bubba Bush. It was a fantastic conversation. He has so much information on mentality and his process and his faith, which he 100% truly believes through and through, which I totally dig about all of it. But it's one of those conversations I had where it made me evaluate some of the verbiage that I say. It's going to make me a better podcast host just from the way I think and process things and say things. So I really appreciate this conversation that I had. I hope you do too. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did with Bubba Bush. Uh, I don't know if you remember, like I'm the first time I met you, which is one of only a few times, but I was trying out a CrossFit gym and I was already a member, but I really wanted to get into jujitsu stuff. And I came into the gym to try out the work and you just had the workout stuff there and you were at the front desk. I did not realize you were the owner or nothing and immediately thought you were the coolest guy because you were another human that saw the foot fist way. <laughs> I am a big fan. It's been a while. That's a uh, VHS was the last time I watched that. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. That but that's a whole, I was like, man, this dude's so cool. And then you worked out with me, and I was like, man, what a sweet dude. And then I figured out who you I was like, oh, that was the owner. How awesome is that? Like, you got what? me this close to not joining, like, to canceling my CrossFit membership and coming over there because I liked it so much. All right, close. Oh, I figure out what the, what the last step is. Well, I'd already, I already had made some friends over there, and yeah. I was at a weird transition point in my life, you know, like, like I, I weighed the options, so I didn't. But man, I still think about it all the time. It still tempts me to this day. Oh man, yeah. Um, but how did so? How did you get into all like the mixed martial arts stuff and all that stuff, and want to end up owning a gym? Well, I started. When I was four years old. No, I hated taekwondo. Um, it mostly I wrestled in middle school and I wrestled in high school up in Virginia, and then I got down to Texas A and M. And then I didn't intend to wrestling in college anyways, you know, or, or I wouldn't come to A&M because we only had a club team. Um, but I definitely missed the mats. And we had a club team here, uh, but I was in the Corps of Cadets doing a lot there. didn't have time for it. And uh, just my senior year, missed the mats so much. A buddy of mine was doing MMA, and I watched a bunch of UFC videos and, you know, the original one, two, three UFCs. So I wanted to check it out with him. And the first place I went was actually – I think it was first place. I'm the second. But our first place one was uh, BVMMA. And back when Dave McClung was coaching, Steve Shoemake and Janet Camps, and um, just wound up staying, loving it, you know, got there. I started doing jujitsu mainly and MMA, but it was close enough that I was still grappling. I was still into it. So 
just enjoyed it a lot and I did it for seven months I think and then I wanted to see I was like man let me see if this stuff really works let me go take a fight <laughs> and that's how I started started fighting it's crazy so I've uh, I love the wrestling aspect I never did it I've never done the wrestling part I was tempted to come to do your classes as well but I really put wanted to to um, I like nudged my kids I don't push them to do anything but I nudged them because I hear all these cool like it seems like everybody who does wrestling everybody is either is always mentally tougher and is successful in life like you hear so many stories of wrestlers do, being successful in so many different avenues of life yeah I was talking about that with my neighbor uh, like two days ago and it's you know son's getting to that age and you know I'm a big believer in sort of that, that nudging philosophy you don't push them to do anything like they can do whatever they want be whatever they want you know big libertarian philosophy but I, I might I might just uh, <laughs> nudge them pretty hard into wrestling because uh, the, the biggest deal I think is, and you may have to want to be there to make it at all in wrestling. It may not work if you push someone into it, but in high school, you got to think like this is the most formative time of your life where there's the most peer pressure, right? And we talk about, a lot about like drugs and alcohol and parties and this and that. And it's like, well, if you are at lunch and everyone else is having school pizza, you know, and a soda for lunch, and you're eating celery and spitting in a cup for eight hours a day, like twice a week or every day of the week, like you're, you're probably going to be able to go your own path, you know, and that leads to a lot of success. So I think a lot of that mental toughness is just sort of the discipline and the practice with that mental discipline in not succumbing to peer pressure and doing your own thing and seeing um, long-term payoffs as well. Because, again, like, I have to weigh in next week. Well, if I don't do right this week, I'm suffering. And that suffering is very real. You know, here's a 14-year-old kid in a sauna with a plastic suit on, spitting in a cup and doing push-ups in, in a 180-degree sauna. It's like there's real consequences. So you start to learn, like, delayed gratification. I could skip this meal, you know, maybe eat a little better this week, and then I'll have to suffer as much next week. I don't have to run as many laps or, you know, whatever it is. So – that's huge. And when you're putting that in and you see that for, I mean, weeks and months at a time, and this is, we're talking wrestling season is Thanksgiving and Christmas season. So like <laughs> years of my life, you know, really seven, but four years of my life in high school, you don't get, you sit there with your plate and it's like, yay, Thanksgiving feast. I get four carrots, you know, a scoop of mashed potatoes. I'm going to splurge today. So if you're doing that and you're doing it for week in, week out, and month in, month out for that one payoff, you know, that one win at the end of the week, just to be able to go tell everybody, yeah, I didn't lose this weekend. You know, I have a one, a pin the guy, whatever. Um, that, that's big. And that's a lot of good, positive, you know, feedback, dopamine release, whatever, that you're, I did the right thing and I got the right result. It paid off. I did it long term. I'm not in it for this immediate gratification. And I think if this generation, every generation, humanity, that's what we lack a lot of times, right? be able to put that one Oreo back and get two Oreos in an hour. So, you know, I, that's I love probably that. why it's so effective. I love that. Like that's, that is one of the things that draws me to a lot of different things that I do is I just like to see if I can push the envelope a little further mental wise. Like, can I, okay, I stopped doing this. Well, let's see if I can take that further. Like when I moved up here, I stopped drinking soda. I never worked out, didn't exercise, just played sports. Right. And did and, and so I I did it because of health reasons. I was like, I'm just gonna stop drinking sodas and see what happens. Well, I felt so good. I was like, 
well, I wonder what happens if I do this. And then it became a game just to see if I could mentally not like mentally do something and make it. And now it's just like bled over into everything that I do. Now it's like addicting. It's addicting to get discipline. If that makes That's sense. That's fantastic. Yeah. You caught a good news. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so when did you start professionally fighting? Like, did you have a bunch of amateur fights first or? Uh, same story actually. So I wanted to fight. I had not been wrestling for seven years. I've been training, jiu-jitsu, MMA, kickboxing, uh, karate for like seven months. And I was just like, let me see if this works. But I never planned on being a professional fighter. So at that time, it only been legal in Texas for about two years. And it was going on two years. Um, I threw my hat in the ring and I was just like, man, if I'm going to get punched in the face, I'm going to get paid for it. So I'll just go pro. And then, you know, when I go in the business world, I'll be like financial advisor slash professional MMA fighter. And that'll look a lot better on a business card and, you know, drum up conversation or whatever. That's a better talking point at a party, right? I was a professional MMA fighter back in college. Um, And, yeah, I just didn't plan on sticking with it. So I just went straight pro, threw my hat in. Uh, My first fight was at Hurricane Harry's in College Station. It was with uh, um, Mick Maynard, who used to own Maroon Weekly here. And now is the UFC matchmaker. And he started Legacy before it was Legacy, was the Lone Star Beatdown in College Station before they moved to Houston. And uh, it was the second fight ever. I'm serious. Like, there had not been many fights in Texas at all. My coach was kind of pioneer there. He fought in the first one, you know, fought some before that, and just got me in there, me and one other guy, and, and went in and fought. So all my core buddies were there. Watching me, I had a restricted weekend that weekend for the Corps of Cadets. I signed out for work. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. <laughs> it's like I got to go to work Friday night, um, and it was it was nice. Man, I won that one, and then I took a long hiatus because it was. I mean, it's very serious. Like I won, but I was like, man, this is these guys are trying to kill you. You know, this is very very serious. And so I took three years off after that, um, trying to get other jobs, moving to law enforcement, border patrol type stuff, and I was driving trucks and things, and then. I kept training and eventually just came back to it. It was like, you know, God God shut a lot of doors in my face, uh, but he kept blessing that one. So while I was doing all these other things, there was kind of always that back door. There were always my friends that I was training with and coming back and hanging out with and living with and that sort of thing. And then I uh, did well in tournaments and jiu-jitsu and started growing there. And so I was like, let me try this out. And if you bless this, then I'll keep doing it. And if not, then I'll I'll shut it down, you know, and try something else. And it just it worked out. Kept winning and got a couple titles and moved on up. You say that so nonchalant. I kept winning, got a couple titles, you know, no big deal. Yeah, just one, you know, took one fight at a time. It's it's cool. What I like is that you jumped, I mean, it's crazy to think about. No amateur, just, I'm just jumping in going straight pro, right? Like, it is. If I'm going to do it, yeah. but on the flip side, I think there is something to somebody who's willing to throw their, like you said, throw your hat in the ring and go for something and see if you, like, test yourself. Yeah, I don't. There was nothing about that that was heroic, though. At the time, um, it was seriously like I'd rather get paid than not. You know, I'm a college kid. I'm like, I'll take 600 bucks or you know, 300 to get hit in the face, 600 to hit someone else in the face, uh, win, and then you know, look good on a, a resume, good talking points. Like, there's nothing noble or heroic or challenging about that. I was just like, and also, I'm I'm just a cocky 21 year old. You know, wrestling like wrestling definitely instills a certain amount of confidence in you you're the little kid i was 135 pounds um you know soaking wet my freshman year of high school but the football players still don't mess with you because they don't want to get taken down and punked and pinned to the ground by someone smaller than them and they know 
It's like you're, you're training in it. So it gives you a certain amount of confidence coming out of it. So I wasn't worried about it. Um, wasn't really that scary. And it was like, look, at that point, I'm not kidding. It was Texas, brand new, barely legal. There was no difference in amateur and pro right then. And I knew that. Like, people were throwing their hat in the ring left and right. And so you had knuckleheads coming out and just like, I'm just going to pick up a paycheck I've never trained in my life. And then you had straight killers like, I'm going to be a pro, so I'm going to have 15 amateur fights. You know, the second guy that I fought in my pro career had an amateur record of like, you know, 15 and 5 or something. You know, it was his eighth pro fight, and he was just this amateur champion, had fought 15, 20 times. So I'm like... He had a ton of experience, but he had just dominated these amateur fights. So he was, you know, I knew a lot more about him. But it's like I could have thrown my hat in against someone like him with 10 fights as an amateur, or I could do it as a pro. It just didn't matter. I was like, either I got it or I don't. So it worked out well. It worked out well. Right yeah. now, I don't recommend that at all, though. Now, because one, if you, if you, if I knew I was going pro, like if I knew I was going to make a career of it, I would have fought amateur. Period. Even though, even knowing that it was, it was equal chance of getting a stud. I would have fought amateur just to, to do that and keep my record clean, um, not take any risks there. Nowadays, amateurs are awesome. I've got some amateur champions that are just absolute studs and guys with, you know, 10 fights now in the amateurs. So nowadays, pro fighting is an entirely different thing than when I started. Now, I had a, you know, nine-year career. So by the end, it had fully developed, you know, but it's still getting better and better every year. But like when I started, it was very different than when I finished. <laughs> different, different animal. And nowadays, I mean, I, I barely, I'll, I'll go train fighters. My coach won't train fighters for, uh, for like a bucket list fight. He hates doing that. He always did. Like if you're just one one and done, I just want to see what it's like. He's like, okay, you're not for me. Um, I'll train people for that absolutely because I mean that's how I started. First of all, <laughs> like that's was my intention, so I, I understand. And secondly, but I'm only going to go amateur. I'm like, we'll put you in there. We'll make sure you're safe. We'll train you and you can go fight once amateur. And I'm fine with that. Like it is an experience. Um, but if you're going pro, we're going to make sure, you know, you get the right experiences at an amateur, you know, enough wins, everything else you're set up to, to do well. And I mean, it helps you. It does. It helps you get paid more when you're a pro because either they can see you're going to sell tickets, you're going to draw a crowd, you're going to be exciting you know, you have a record so I can put you against good guys which get you up towards those titles and towards the higher money and towards climbing up the UFC. Um, just, or you're not good at something uh, so you can work on that. You know, you just, you're a great wrestler but you suck at boxing. You need to go box a couple times before you have to do it live because you can't just wrestle uh, your, you know, GSP. <laughs> it's not going to work. <laughs> That's no. all the way. I, just I, do, you can't hit wonder anymore, man. And when I started, I absolutely was. When I started, I was just wrestling and violence you know it wasn't there was not a lot of skill there um, it took a while to develop so that was the three-year break between that i was still training the entire time and got a lot better and then yeah yeah i i love i mean the uh the people who i love hearing people say that like that that watch they, they'll watch it on tv and think that they can just jump right in there and like i can do that i can why is this guy doing that i went to I've gone to two live. Saw a cowboy fight once, and and it was incredible. I loved every moment of it. It was awesome. But the speed difference from TV to sitting right there, like and watching it in person, is unreal. That anybody knows where anything's coming from. I guess it's like you know anything else. You you the game slows down the more you play it, but 
man, for somebody to sit back and say, why couldn't he see that kick coming? Or why couldn't, like, no way, man, they're fast. Yeah. That's what I love about teaching jiu-jitsu is it kind of fights the ignorance. Um, <laughs> you know, I've had marathon runners come in and do a one, you know, five-minute roll in jiu-jitsu and just be gassed out entirely. And it's like it's an entirely different uh, energy system when you're using – and you've did CrossFit, so, you know, you understand. Like, the first time you go to CrossFit, you might run five miles a day, but, like, when you do a log run – you know, so when you do log run, you stick that log in your shoulder and try to run one mile. All of a sudden, it's, it's egregious. It's tough. Um, it's combining those energy systems and doing that anaerobic work in the middle of cardio is just horrible. So it's a very different system. And I like that because it brings you in and you go, wow, um, I did a three-minute roll and I'm exhausted. These guys are fighting 100% versus the best in the world for 25 minutes. Like, it gives you a new perspective. So I do like that. Um, that said, I was... I was that knucklehead too. <laughs> my, my very last fight, I walked in. I had a, I tore my LCL and a bunch of cartilage damage in my knee and problems and stuff. And I was just like, uh, you know, I've, I've been I've been on the shelf too long. I like had an elbow surgery. I took a year off. I got back. I tore my knee. I'm like, ah, I got a fight or the UFC is going to drop me anyways. So I was just, they put me up against a guy who was so bad that I was like, I can do this without a camp. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, I couldn't run, I couldn't wrestle, I, I just, like, casually weightlifting, and then went in there, like, I got this guy, I'll, I'll take him out in the first, he'll be fine. So, I like, I feel like I also, I was that, that fan, like, one punch, it's out, I knock him out, I got him, and what? still did that. Well, I mean, you don't always learn the, the right way. That mentality, <laughs> though, comes from some, like, you you earned that mentality a little bit. You've already been there, you've already uh, fought some people. just hubris, man. <laughs> <laughs> I've, well, so, see, this is... This is perfect perspective because I've always wondered where that comes from with uh, fighters do it a lot, but every athlete does it. Like you play a sport, you want to play, and then you can mentally push past an injury or something that you probably shouldn't be pushing through. Right. Um, right. And I've always wondered where, like, is it a desi- is it an, is it unhealthy or healthy? I can't decide yet. Mm. Um. You have to frame those those words, frame and define your terms. Healthy in the physical health sense? No, of course it's not healthy. You know, healthy in life because of the mental toughness and then what it produces? Sure, it's probably a good thing. So you have to have a certain amount of that. I don't care in you, obviously. Like, and no, no fighter. That's the other thing. When you guys watch uh, UFC on TV, no one is fighting healthy. There's not a thing like fighting. It's not a dangerous sport. I've been injured less in fighting than I was in, like, you know, basketball and football. But it's a it's a violent sport. And so practice, you practice something extremely violent, it is extremely violent, and you're getting beat up. You know, you're sore, you're banged up, you're bruised. So um, I had one fight camp, my first, uh, I guess, second title fight, um, first title victory. It was the only fight camp I ever had where I was just healthy. And I felt like a million bucks. And I went in there, and you can see it. Like, I just walked through. I didn't have a concern in the world. I knew it walked through. Every other fight, you got injured at least once in fight camp. This was period. You know, my first title fight, I broke my foot three weeks out. And it's like, what are you going to do? You know, are you going to take the time to rehab it, you know, take six months off, then start another camp and just not work for a year? You know, it takes forever. So, real quick, you just learn, I got to deal with it. And, and they're the same way. You know, your opponents are coming in. They pulled something during the camp. You know, they twisted something. They got, you know, arm bar hit too hard or something. So, got punched in the face a few times, bloodied up. You just try not to get cut right before the fight. 
try to go as healthy as you can in. Um, we usually take about the last week off. Um, some people, you know, train up to the last day, but we usually take the last week off to just heal up as much as you can, make sure you're ready for that last sprint. Uh, but that's all you can do. Like, you got to know they're going to be hurt a little bit, you're going to be hurting, and it's just you got to dig it, dig through it, tough it out. So the younger you are, the less that's the case. I heard some – was a good recent quote was, uh, it's like the sooner you learn to train like you're 40, the more likely you are to still be able to train when you're 40. <laughs> that's perfect. <laughs> So, yeah, like when I was 20, I didn't warm up for anything. And you jump in there and you just do stupid stuff. And, you know, the sooner I'm, I'm 35 now, I'm a type 1 diabetic. So my body's 45, but I'm 35. I'm still I'm learning, but I'm, I'm doing better things now. You know, we, we warm up more, we cool down, we stretch. We do all those good athlete things now that we should have been doing the whole time. But, hey, we were just 21-year-olds in a racquetball court holding pads in the wall for each other. And it was a, just a different time, different time telling these young kids to hold back when they know they're invincible. It's like, oh, come on. you got a long career ahead of you. Have you always been a type 1 diabetic? Uh, not always. I got it at about 16 years old, okay. high school wrestling. That's gotcha. actually how I knew I had it. Gotcha. I, I, I asked that because I, uh, I just had a friend. It was real random. He's like a really healthy dude and couldn't mm-hmm. figure out why he kept dropping, like losing so much weight. He yeah, couldn't put weight on. Yeah, and, and but he's uh he's thirty, thirty plus, and he just like just showed up. Yep. Hey, some of us are just lucky, you know. <laughs> That's good, it happens. Um you have to have a trigger and you have to have a, a you know, defective gene or whatever. So some people have the gene their whole life and it just never manifests. Um trigger is usually a bad illness, a real bad illness or a a uh, bad injury, and it, you know, all of a sudden it triggers that gene. Your body starts seeing your your pancreas or your beta cells or pancreas as a foreign body and starts attacking them. And then you don't notice the effects for about a year later. It takes a year for your body to kill off enough of those cells that you can't keep up with the insulin production, and then you start to notice it. So that's I dislocated uh, my elbow uh, high school wrestling camp, triggered it. I didn't notice anything. A year later, boom, you know, strikes. That's crazy. So you have a recent injury or illness or anything? Or a year ago, rather? No, I don't think so. He- <laughs> you ask him. See if, he, see if he got sick about a year ago. Yeah, I'll ask him. I'll ask him to see. He's a cool dude. Flu, it's probably a swine flu trigger. Now. <laughs> That's um, okay, I want to ask you something super interesting to me, and I know I texted you kind of the topics to go over, but how, like yeah. growing up in a super religious family and that background, there is like no better way, I think, to be raised ever like with morals and foundation the whole thing but how does that coincide with the mixed martial arts fighting like being a professional fighter you know going in there and you're fighting yeah. another human being across the across the cage from you did you grow up that way did i grow up that way yes my my, my dad would have been like absolutely not you we can watch fighting but you cannot fight like that's violence and okay. that's hitting another person yeah um so my dad was a Marine, was it was or is, uh, <laughs> retired Marine. So obviously, I guess a little different mentality. Um, but yeah, very, very devout. I I had some family, um, you know, that, that definitely didn't approve, not like extended family, just didn't understand. You know, a lot of Southern Baptists and things didn't understand at all, but um, kind of looked at it like, uh, like, you know, football. If I'm playing football and I'm trying to hit this person as hard as I can, What's the difference in that and, and boxing in this guy as hard as I can? I did have to 
wrestle with it a bit and I come at it from a very different place. Uh, and you can go like watch go watch uh, Stephen Thompson, Waterboy oh, Thompson, yeah. do it, right? Like nicest dude. Him talking trash is hilarious, right? Yes. Man, I really well. Yeah. And Sage Northcutt, same thing. But like those guys, we, not mad in the cage. You know, I never threw a punch in anger. Um, it's you go in there to compete, and, and I think that's the higher up you go, the more likely you're to find that regardless of religious background, you know, you don't have to be a Quaker to just be a professional at that level. Like you're not there to be angry. And in fact, uh, like Muhammad Ali and a lot of other boxers would, would key on that. Like if you, if you're angry fighting, you're slow and you're dumb because that's your, your primal brain, emotional brain, but you, you know, but you're still blinded to that single focus of my anger and I need to hurt you and I need to hurt you right now. And it's like, well, guess what? The, the fastest way to hurt someone is not always the most strategic, the smartest or the most effective. Like I just charge at you and throw my overhand, right. That's, you see that coming, you know, you get stiff, you get tense, um, you waste a lot of energy that way. And so the smart fighters, you know, rope a dope, you get you frustrated, get you angry, and then you get predictable and easier to beat. Um, so anyhow, you'll see a lot of people that don't share that sort of what we think of as fighting and brawling and just street fighting and raging and brawling. We generally associate with like a drunken bar fight. And yeah, that's usually directly correlated with knuckleheadery. You know, like I drank a bunch and I threw some insults and I was cursing them and he just started fighting and that's what fighting is. And it's like, well, no, this is a sport and the angriest soccer players and the best soccer players. So um, same thing goes in fighting. So anyways, didn't throw any punches in anger out there trying to win, not trying to hurt somebody. And there, uh, some fighters are, some fighters are only there to hurt people. And that's, there's entire camps of Cobra Kai. Uh, just, just wasn't me. Just wasn't my style. Um, I did have to look up some verses because like the Bible speaks against violence strongly. Jesus spoke against violence strongly. And I'm like, well, if, if violence is not something that I should be associated with at all, then I can't really go down this career path. Right. I'm like, it's not really, you can't really ask God, okay, well bless this. If you, if you want to use me here, cause that's, that's not it. Um, but obviously we see men like David, you know, in, in the, the old Testament who are men after God's own heart that are used, um, men, warriors saying the battle is the Lord's Gideon and things. So we, we assume that it doesn't mean violence in the simplest, broadest sense. Right. Um, the word for violence in the New Testament is not violence as we think about it. It's not football players knocking heads. It's not uh, punching each other. It's oppression of the poor. And so violence was what the Pharisees did to the to the poor people that couldn't couldn't afford to follow their letters of the law as well um, because of their means. It's like violence was using um, uneven scales, dishonest scales, and that sort of thing. There's just a lot of speaking about uh, oppression of the poor, essentially, it had nothing to do with physical violence, you know? So, and you still, you can absolutely, I think, personally believe you can sin in physical violence, you know? You can definitely bully, um, hurt people, like do all kinds of things wrong. But again, that's the matter of the heart. Where's your heart? You know, are you trying, if you're lifting weights too hard with your friend, like that's not violence. As we think about it, you, you throw a, <laughs> You know, a wall ball too hard and break down some drywall. That's not violence, you know, evil violence in the, in the old New Testament. Um, so I think it's a, it's a matter of the heart. And if you're not out there throwing punches in anger, then I think you can absolutely do it purely um, and as a testament, not a 
not a sin. So I haven't heard it put like I haven't heard it put like that before. Where like the violence part, but it does make sense. And then if you wanted to even go further than that, we could even say that you being like a trained fighter, right? Professional fighter. If you were to go pick one of those fights and fight somebody out of anger, that would be violence against the poor or somebody who is less equipped to deal with it. One hundred percent. I see. Like, yeah, if I'm going out to the to the North Gate and I'm picking on people because I can and because I know they can't do anything about it, yeah, I think that's the most. Um, what's that's probably the wrong word. Unnoble. It's the opposite of noble. So <laughs> that is that is not a good thing. You know, that makes me small in my own eyes. Uh, I should not be doing that, and I think that would be violence. Um, but obviously we have the testimony of Jesus flipping tables and getting a cat of nine tails and just whipping people out of a temple. And like if, if violence itself, if the physical act of aggression is sin, then we have a problem. <laughs> you know, we, we got to go back to, to square one because uh, our Lord and Savior is now a sinner. And that's obviously something we know is not true is the fundamental premise of the entire belief. So it's not physical violence that we're talking about. It's certainly uh, that, that mental violence and oppression. Well, it's weird how things get mixed up in yep. like beliefs or in any sort of system whatsoever. And you can tie that. We could go like you could say mixed martial art world. This style is better than that style. And I believe it no matter what has happened throughout time, universe, whatever it is, I'm in this camp and that's it. And I'm in this camp and that's it. And, People, like, it gets passed down from generation to generation to whoever. But you explained it, like, really well. Like, it was awesome. I, that's something I've never heard before. Yeah. The styles, man. But I like, a, like Jordan Peterson's quote, too. I think it comes out of a... It's not, it's not scriptural, but it comes out of that mentality. It's like it's... It's, it's essentially the quote of it's, it's better to be a warrior in a garden than a gardener in a, a war which I Dude. think we all know is true um, but like a, a good man is not a, a weak man or, or you know a non-violent man is not a good man just because he's not violent um, a good man is, is a violent man who has it under control and that's again Teddy Roosevelt's speak softly and carry a big stick like I looked at that in high school one of the reasons I started weightlifting and one of the reasons I started you know wrestling and fighting and all that is because I realized like you can't you cannot turn the other cheek. We hear the verse, turn the other cheek thrown around all the time, you know, and some people think it's it's weakness. Uh, like someone's gonna hit you in the face and you turn the other cheek and they hit you again. They just see that as weakness and they have for thousands of years. But if you turn that other cheek because you have to, if you're being bullied, you're the smaller person in that fight, and there's nothing else you can do, right? It's your choices to like punch them in the gut and then get your teeth kicked out, you know, left for dead in an alley. Well then, yeah, you're going to turn the other cheek. You're going to hit again. But if you're the bigger person in that fight, you know, if again, if your if your wife slaps you and then you turn the other cheek, most of us do see that as noble. We get that. Like if you have the power in that, someone comes up and starts cursing you out and, put, and picking on you and they hit you and you don't just thrash them, even though you have a hundred percent of the capacity, the capacity to, and the ability to, then that is noble. That is humility. And that is meekness. And so that meekness comes, that strength comes from being able to control it, not just from being peaceful, not just from not fighting. Because not fighting is not a virtue. Um, it is weakness, essentially. You know, it can be weakness. So I want to find that and have that ability. And I think really, I think all men do. 
99% of us. Like there's very few cases where I don't think that's something desired. Some people feel like it's a little further out of reach. Some people might write it off as like that can never be me and go pursue other things. But I think most men have the desire to be capable of great violence if needed, to be able to defend their wife, their children, you know, their friends, the weak, and know that's a good, noble thing. But it does take effort, you know, and it's not it's not about size necessarily. Like I said, like you can be a scrappy, you know, the, the wrestlers didn't get picked on. My, even my, my little friend's senior year, like the 130 pound dudes didn't get picked on because they had the ability to make life miserable, even in a loss, you know, you can make someone else's life miserable. So when we have that great equalizer in, in weapons and in training, um, to carry around that stick. So I, I do think, I believe that very strongly meekness is a virtue and that it is, having the ability for violence, but having contained, not reacting and rashly and out of anger, um, but being controlled enough to know when it's appropriate, when it's righteous to use that and when it's not. So we do that. And I try to work that into my fighters as well. I don't get through to all of them, but some of them um, we spend a lot of time with and definitely have made that point. I mean, how do you get, how do you start to, because I mean, this religious, I, I can speak from growing up in it, like the growing up religious is, is a discipline. Like it is a discipline to be able to, you know, be the odd person out in a lot of situations that you would normally not be, like you explained earlier. Um, and tra- transferring that over from from your religious background to your wrestling and understanding, like as we heard here, like that you can't go in and throw an angry fighter is not a smart fighter. Right. How do you get somebody who has a temper or is quick to light up as a coach? to understand that and to control, like mentally control themselves in the ring? Experience. It's easy. So again, the same reason we don't take people off the street that go, man, I could beat that guy. You know, one punch and it's done. He could never take me down. And we don't throw them in professional fights, right? It'd be irresponsible of of us and of them. (laughs) Um, But they wouldn't make it, obviously. They wouldn't succeed. So the same thing when you come in with that, we'll call it a white belt mentality. Um, Not only am I... 4,000% 4,000% more effective at fighting than I, than I really am. But also, um, I just, I'm a fast hair trigger to my, to my temper. As soon as you start fighting, whether it's just training or amateur fights, you realize very quickly it's not working, right? And I've had, obviously I own a gym, I've had countless experiences with people coming in and telling me how many street fights they've won or how good they are in their backyard or all with their drunken buddies, you know? I, I'm at fought at Northgate all the time, and I'm undefeated. And it's like cool, like come in here with my my female fighter, and let's see what you got, you know? Because they're always terrible, like bar none, hundred percent, no exception. They've been terrible at fighting. They just want to be good, you know, and they're they're angry, and they they always feel like the angrier they get, the better they get, because that's what you know. Alcohol does that to us, makes us invincible, and feel like we're getting better and uh, anger does that to us too that's why the hulk is so beloved and popular right because that is what we want every time we get angry to get stronger but it's not the reality that we live in so you take that fighter you put them in a sparring match with someone who's been fighting for a year um amateur fighter and they just get wrecked they're gassed out in a minute you know and then they get pounded on for three to five more minutes and at the end of that, a couple, you know, that time was just a bad day, but then they do that next week and they do it the week after. And like really quickly they go, Hey, something's wrong here. You know, what do I have to, what do I have to change? What do I have to figure out? You know, if they want to be, most of them quit because 
it's easier just to go around and say that you trained and you were too good for it and uh, yeah, it wasn't even worth my time, you know, and just be the go back to being an undefeated street fighter way easier. Uh, maybe even buy a shirt on your way out. But uh, <laughs> the, the ones that stay, the ones that make it, they come back and it, it's, it's instilled humility, you know, by experience. You can't deny that very long because you only have so many teeth, you know, so many brain cells. So you deny it one week, two weeks, three weeks, and then you go, man, I need something. Tell me, teach me, show me. And it's so I've had good fighters even come and they were they were also they were good because they had enough talent. They had enough violence and anger. Like after they started training for the talent, they thought that's where they got their energy from until they gassed out in fights. You know what I mean? Until they started getting beaten by people who were calm and better. And after that, and then they changed and realized, like, there's more to this. There's a whole nother level. I need that. You know, it's it's, it's more to it. So, yeah, it's uh, I think experience teaches you that best. Yeah, that's one thing that I liked so much. But I like being humbled in the first place. But I'm I'm never I'm confident. But then at the same time, I don't ever think I always know somebody's better. Having my my dad was a, a collegiate athlete, you know, full ride playing tennis, and you might say that's tennis, but the sport is still competing. And he's yes. like, you know, he he used to tell me all the time, he's like the best way to learn is to go get your butt whooped. Yeah, like that's losing. The, say jujitsu, you win or you learn. Yeah. Yeah, a bad example of that because I, I hate losing more than I love winning. <laughs> you know, yes. <laughs> cool too. Uh, oh, my lost everything. Okay. Um, but it's it's very true, and that's the best way to get good is to go lose for a while, for sure. So all the best athletes in the world are always looking for the next challenge, and I mean it gets boring at the top too. So they've got to go find a reason to keep growing, or else stale, stagnant. What's the point? Well, that's the, keep challenging yourself. That's the attraction with with fighting with like something like crossfit anything like that uh I I up. is it breaking up? up you there okay i was saying like i did the um like action sports stuff for a while and that's ever moving and changing there's always a way to push yourself to a different level so it keeps my attention span i always like to say i have add because i can't just once you get to a certain spot, it needs to go further. Like, I need to have something else. No matter if I'm good or not good at the thing. I need to have, once I get better at something, I need to have something else to challenge me. Something different? Yeah. like or higher level? Higher level. So, like, if, I, if, if it stops becoming super challenging like you- and hard, like, to do certain things, I need something to push that level a little further. Yeah, I mean that makes sense with your uh, with your self discipline disease, right? <laughs> I gotta go a little more, go a little harder, go a little further. I'm saying like if you never got good at the thing though, like the the challenge is getting better at it. Like just stay with it. You gotta be. I guess that's gotta keep your attention until at least you get good at it, right? You do make a very good point with that. Like until you're that's the best, good. until you're the best. Like what's that? I said good. Then all I have to do is get you in jujitsu for a couple, a couple of days, a couple of weeks. No, nope. <laughs> man. I uh, what was it? With the, y'all, there was a tournament. The what? guys were talking about going to a tournament as a team, and I was like, I want to go. Dang it! <laughs> I rolled like one time, and I know I couldn't do anything. And I don't care if I lose. I this is awesome. Y'all go to tournaments, like yeah, all the time. I'm like, that's so cool. That's why I think, and you, know, you might same thing might be true for CrossFit and obviously a lot of sports, but I know in jujitsu you tend to find like a really uh, high level of character or just good, 
I mean, good people you want to be around. Same thing with, you know, wrestlers and everything else. Like, it's not everybody. There's bad seats, but it's a lot higher. And you're like, why is that? And you kind of made me realize it's probably because the ones that don't see that, that don't gain that humility, the ones that don't realize, like, I don't have enough and I'm not okay with that and I'm going to pretend like I do, they don't make it. Like, they don't stick around. They leave immediately. And the ones that see immediately, I, I need to, I need this. I need more. I need to work harder. I need to humble myself and learn something. They're the ones sticking around. So you end up with a bunch of people that are like, there is someone better than me at this. I'm not the best in the world. And have that, you know, that humility that makes us all better people, better humans, better friends, neighbors, and, and, and uh, husbands and wives and fathers and parents and mothers. So it's like you get a big group of those people. And the thing about that is, too, like it never goes away. You know, I've got like, world championships and been doing jujitsu for 15 years and I'm not near the tip of the iceberg you know like there's still people that can crush me um I was writing advanced curriculum this week and like you want something to humble you go go down that rabbit hole sitting here like you can kind of take fundamentals and put them like yes say write down what I need to know to be fundamentally good at tennis and you can probably write it down in a few hours but tell you like what do I need to be the best at it you start going into how deep these moves and plays go. There's infinite levels to this. And you're like, man, I don't know half of this. So kind of the old black belt mantra of like black belt is learning. There's more you don't know than what you do. It's like where you begin your journey because you know enough to know you don't know anything. It's crazy to me. And 10, 12 years in. Such minute Ooh. details, the higher levels you go. Like it's a, it's a little bit. Just a little bit makes you so much better. Yeah. You just don't know enough. You're like... I can't explain why that's wrong to you. You don't know why that's wrong. Just, just go learn that. It's crazy. But humil- it, it is tough, though, because the ego gets in the way. Like, with everybody, the ego gets in the way. It's, like you said, figuring out how to control your anger is figuring out how to control your ego to go like, hey, I lost, and that's okay. It sucks. I hate it, but I lost, and that's okay. Versus if you walk out and you quit, you've always stayed at the same level. Yeah, it's a buzzword in there. I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. Because it's hard for me to say, I lost and that's okay. (laughs) I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying and I agree with you in theory. But there's words there because I'm never comfortable with just saying that. It's like once you've lost, you have to learn to become okay with it. Not with the loss, but with life. You have to move on. You have to focus on what you learn, right? Like you have to go through but there's also that mentality of like any champion has never once in their life been o- literally been okay with losing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it bothers you to your core. And there's a mentality there where, because some people it really doesn't bother that much. And like, but they're not the ones out competing. They're not. Like if you're, if you're really chasing that, that high level, everyone I've seen in methods doing that, it, it just irks them to the core of their being to lose. And yeah, you have to be okay with it in the end. You have to, to move past it, but you're never okay with the fact that you lost. So I need better words for that. How do you... Well, I, do you okay. I'll, I'm, I'm going to phrase but the guy from Compete Every Day. The guy from Compete Every Day said it probably the best that I've ever heard it said when he was on the podcast. Uh, and he said, in competition, when you throw yourself out there, you either you win or you know or you learn what it takes to win. Right. What so, do you learn? Yeah, it's when you learn, but like when he said it that, when he put it in that, like, 
or you gain the knowledge of what you need to know to win. Like you didn't, you didn't I mean, lose. Wasn't. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> losing, losing's a bad thing. I mean, it is and it has to be. I get it, but I think that's why we do sport. Like, it's not American culture, like Patton's speech. Where Americans aren't, we're not losers. You know, it's so, we're here. It is true. It is true. Uh, and point doing something if you're doing it to lose, right? Like, what's the point of competing if you if you actually didn't care if you win? There'd be no point in competing. We wouldn't do it. Waste of time, money. Come on. Oh, I could go through such a rabbit hole with you right now on this. That I have a guy tell me like. I was. I'm gonna put my son in like any sport that he wants to, or whatever. And he he says, I don't understand the like. They can play like little league sports. That's fine. But high school, definitely no sports for the kids because it's so hard to make the team, and they're not gonna go to college or go pro in base. So what's the point? Ouch. And I'm like, what a sad existence that kid has to like go in. You know. Mentality. What is the point? Yeah. And I've heard a lot of people have that sort of like have that sort of mindset, and that. It's it drives me nuts to not be like oh. the truth of that, right? There's there's a shade of there that's like if if my probability of being a full time athlete, whatever after high school, then why am I spending all this time getting good enough to get onto JV my senior year? Why am I rooting it up when I could be studying law and be a great lawyer? You know, like it's like if I'm trying to get a job, provide for myself, like okay, we have limited resources, where do we put those? Like I can respect that, but it's not. Like what that guy said, you're, you just presented is like the opposite of you can be anything when you grow up. <laughs> you know, it's like well, you definitely can't do these three things, so choose from these other two. It's like, like if, if your genetics weren't great and you weren't good at sports and didn't have any support, and your kid desperately wants to go do this one sport, like I still think they can succeed at that. They just have to double down and go in it. And there's plenty of tales of people who are just terrible at stuff that made it their life's goal and made it. Um, so, yeah, I don't I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at Larry Bird. It's hard, it's hard to hear. It, it, dude, it was so, it was, it, it drives me, that drives me nuts because, I obviously, I want my kids to be able to do whatever they wanted to. You know, I, I look back at stuff that I did where like, man, if I had just stuck with it a little longer, I know I got, maybe got burned out and I did something different. There's nothing wrong with that, but if I had just stuck with it a little longer, some other avenues would have opened up, right? And so I don't have any regrets. I'm more so try to change the way I do things from that point forward. But I want my kids to learn from that lesson and realize that they can go do whatever it is they want to do. You know, if they want to go be an MMA fighter, go for it. You know, if they want to be ride dirt bikes and do flips, absolutely, go for it. If, if you love to do it, it's worth the risk of bodily harm if you're living life at like 100 versus living that life, that attitude and mentality. Like I'm going to live at 50 because it's safe over here. Right. 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 I refuse to walk through life. I refuse to tiptoe through life simply to arrive safely at death. (laughs) Yes. Yes. And maybe that's me dreaming fantasy of like wanting to be a warrior. Like, you know, that sort of thing. And, not having the skills, but wishing I, you know, maybe wishing I did join your, your gym and start training or whatever it is. But, um, but it's just, it sticks with me all the time. That comment from that guy and, and several others and people I've been around be like, no, I refuse to go down that path. There is no, like, it, I'm not going to go down the no hope path. 
Yeah, you can be a warrior to a lot of different things in life. You know, it's not just fighting, and so much so that like you're you're right on there. It's it's accomplishing something at whatever you're doing. Again, dirt biking, viola, lawyering, whatever you're gonna do, be the best at it. You know, do do it to the best of your ability. Um, and again, in, in scriptural or Christian raising, we call it do all things as unto the Lord. Like do everything to the best of your ability, as if you're serving Christ, not serving yourself or others. Um, another quote that we have uh, at the gym is, you know, you don't you don't fail when you lose, you fail when you quit. And that's exactly what you're saying, too. Um, this goes back to the whole losing, winning or learning thing. But, like, you quit at it. Yeah, you, you were. It was a waste of time. You lost. But if you, if you keep doing it, keep striving at it, you said always until you get good at it, right, then you've never lost. Every day is worthwhile because you're growing. And that's that's the key, right? Choose, choose and grow with something. So I want to like right. when you. Be a good boy. I, I I totally I agree with that one hundred percent. And like when you phrase things like that, you're like, hey, just go put all your effort into being good at something else. But it it taking the easy middle road, it just it's weird to me. And I understand it's not bad. It's not bad. Everybody thinks different. You know, everybody's different. I don't judge the people for it. It just, for some reason, that stuff eats so bad. I've told that, I've said that thing, it, it like eats at me. For I think <laughs> we're talking about being lukewarm there at anything and everything. Like, yes. don't be lukewarm. It's it's not that, if you're, if you're really good at, you know, viola, and you go crush viola, like, great. You don't need to be good at dirt biking too, and MMA too. And like, I was better at math and you know, f- fighting. So I did those things, you know, I'm not playing viola. Like it's, it's efficient to do that. Like go find what you, it might be an easier path for you than for something else. It's not saying it's negative because you're doing the wrong path. Um, it's not bad to go into what's you have a skill set for. And it comes naturally to you, but go be good at it. Don't just like, I have natural talent for this. So I never have to try and I never have to work that. Yeah, that's, lukewarm it's it's awful i get it i think <laughs> I'm with you. i think that's where the religious background thing too is 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 cool and i had to do some deciphering of things because you grow like i the way i grew up in the church of christ and it was you know you're always there on sunday every single sunday you're there no matter what if something requires you to be away on sunday it's bad and then i you know when i look at it from a different angle i look at somebody like tim tebow mm-hmm. and he took his talent that he had for playing football and probably spread more good than anybody. He would have wasted it. He would have wasted it. Like the, his message would not have been out there nearly as big and bold and proud as when he played football and did the things that he did. So I, I kind of look at different things, but that's one where I'm like raising kids in that sort of mindset, the, the lukewarm again, that's another foundation found in the Bible. Like, don't be lukewarm. You're either hot or you're cold. Yeah. Be lukewarm. Yep. But um, I'll, not to switch gears totally, but I kind of want like just a perspective from you. So you fought like a, in a bunch of like, you, you fight in a bunch of like your levels up, right? Different leagues, I guess, different levels of, of fighting. And then you make the UFC. And what is the difference between those other levels right here and then stepping up on that stage? Uh, pretty big, apparently. Um, 
it's, it's the exact same fighting. It's the exact same thing. Um, talent's just better. That's all. It's just every fight's a title fight. You know, there's no warm-up fights or um, tune-up fights or anything like that. It's just, you know, every day is the playoffs. Every day is a title fight. Like, you're up there and you got to, you got to bring your best every time. Um, is it scarier? Like, is it, does it, does it bring a certain level with the stigma of the name? No, I mean, you, there's excitement and everything else. Uh, you know, they call it what, UFC jitters or something. Um, but I'm telling you, like, it's, okay, there's a lot of new stuff, you know, but you can get that fighting in a different state or fighting for a different promotion too. So we can simulate that. We can get around. Like, by the time all my fighters get there, I don't expect that to have a big, a big thing for there to be a big thing for them, a difference for them. Um, it's also good now. Like there weren't as many fighters before coming out of the UFC. There's weren't that many in there. And like, if you, if you finish the UFC, you're pretty much retired or 50. And like now there's a lot more fighters going in and out of the UFC. So you can go fight someone who is UFC level talent, either who's fought a fight with a UFC guy or been in the UFC, you know, years ago and still fighting. And you can, I mean, you can prep for that level way before you get there. So maybe get some confidence that way as well. Um, the thing that messed me up the most was actually, I went from headlining cards, right? So your, your main event, your 11 PM, um, stacked arenas and whatever, 20 million people on TV to fighting at 5.30 in the afternoon on the prelims of the card. You know, like, if, if you're not Sage Northcutt, your first couple of fights are empty arenas in the middle of the afternoon. And it's like, usually that's when you're waking up from your nap and you're about to go get lunch, you know, your meal before you go to the arena at all. And now you're fighting game time. So, like, I had, and I did not transition well with that timing. Um, and diabetes obviously makes it a little, it's hard with the, like it took me forever to get my insulin figured out. Um, cause you have to time it really, really well. You know, you're fighting in this 15 minute window at some point in this three hour card. And you usually know, yeah, I could, I got it down to where I figured it out you know, within 30 minutes to an hour, but it's really hard to get your energy levels right. And your insulin levels right where you're not too high or too low and it affects you in a big way. So I fought a bunch of my fights just way messed up physically uh, just by not being able to figure that that timing out i guess that but that's and that's like i guess anything else when you want to go pro you have to understand and learn how to fight under that condition like being good all means you be good all the time yeah, you get it down to a science you gotta start eating the right things at the right times every day maybe in a system you know everything else so probably stuff i should be doing with diabetes anyways right but uh <laughs> I, but yeah there's there's just a lot of variables. It's interesting to know. I mean, I, and it, it, does it make sense if I think about it when you're saying it, you know, and I ask the question because I'm interested in it, but if you've been fighting for so long and doing it against so many people, then right. you're kind of used to that part. The fighting? The, like, yeah, like the fighting, entering the cage on a big stage. You know, if you fought for a belt or you fight, you fight enough people, you get used to that part of it. So really... Right. It's just your chance to like level up a little, but you really, I can see where that could be like, okay, this is just another fight, you know, like the, the fighting's the same levels a little higher and I've got to bring my game, but I'm used to this. Yeah. I think you get pretty comfortable in that. Like my only, 
what do you like? What made me nervous walking in to most of my fights was, am I going to physically be able to do this, or is my body going to completely shut down in the middle of this fight? Because like, if I guess wrong, you know, if you, you know the way insulin works, like if I if I go a little too low, body's just like, oh, we don't want to, you know, sugar in the bloodstream to keep the brain alive, so we're not going to do anything, and you just stop. Like you, your body shuts down. It's like so. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm walking into the fight and I'm like, uh, I hope I didn't take too much, you know. And then what that usually led to was, I didn't take enough insulin, and then you go super high. And now it's like, I'm I'm a supreme, you know, elite athlete, uh, 71 on that. What do you call it? Submaximal heart rate test, whatever. And it's like, I got winded walking up the stairs because, you know, blood sugar is too high. You can get that. It's just like I came out of a lot of actually, I think all three of my title fights that came out of it just messed up. And it was to the point where, like, I couldn't go to the third round. And it wasn't because I wasn't in good shape, it wasn't because I didn't train enough. It was just physically, you shut down. Your heart rate's 190. Okay, I can run, run an 18 minute three mile, but you're done. So, like, that was all I was ever worried about, really, moving in there. It's like, am I going to have something outside, entirely outside my control? Because the nervous part, too, is like, what are you ever worried about? It's only the unknown. And when you get in the fight, you can control the variables, right? Stuff still happens. You hit, a, hit with a punch you didn't see coming. Um, you know, things happen. But it's like, I'm nervous for my fighters, and then they get out there, and I'm still nervous for them because I can't do anything about it. I give them advice. I call out, the, you know, what, what move to do, but I can't make them do it. And so I have no control in that. And so it doesn't go away. It just stays with you the whole time. You're just, like fighting is only nerve wracking until the fight starts. And then you're just in it. You know, you just do the best you can. You move through and you're, you're laser focused. All I was nervous about is like when this fight starts, I get even less control. You know, adrenaline changes how your body metabolizes sugar and uses insulin. So it's like that was that sucked. So I'm like, I can get there as soon as the fight starts. I'm not worried about the skill level and exchanges and how I'm going to deal with this and, you know, what what moves we're going to trade, what blows we're going to throw. I can control all that a minute. What I can't control, that kept me nervous, you know. That's Jeez, always under my that's how, how crazy is it that, that exi- like, that this part of the podcast is like, got that in it with the state of mind that everybody's in with this crazy situation. The unknown, oh, yeah. is, the unknown is what's scaring people, which is... It, which and, can't Yeah. It, it, that's the whole reason that everybody's freaking out is because they don't know and they can't control it. Yeah, I guess, man. I can't... I don't know who is... Like, I've never seen anyone freaking out. It's always the <laughs> hypothetical Karen out there that's freaking out. And I'm like, who, who are these people? I don't know them. But I get it. Like, we're... Well, is we that look- just because we're locked down? Do we do we know any of these people actually? Like, do you know people that are really like scared? I guess I've seen some lately that are kind of like, oh, I'm not going there without gloves, you know. But like, I don't know a bunch of people that are really scared. Well, I think it's it's, it's who you surround yourself with is kind of how you think. So you probably don't see any. I guess, yeah. I got some influence, but yeah, I don't see a ton of that terror. But it is out there. Is there a lot of it? Uh, I mean. Wouldn't it have to be for it to be things to be shut down? I mean, I do like anything anymore, man. Don't believe anything anymore. (laughs) (laughs) 
what it has to be. You'd like to think it has to be. Yeah, I mean, and maybe hopeful thinking or whatever, but the more it's like, you know, I grew up with a nurse as a mom, so viruses and illnesses and things like that, I know that I have zero control over them, so they don't bother me in the least. If I get it, it's it wasn't because of a handshake, and it wasn't because of something else. It was because I got it. Yeah. Was she hypersensitive to him then, or was she just like, yeah, whatever, it's going to happen or not, we got to deal with it? She was like, yeah, whatever. It's it's gonna happen or it's not like it's gonna happen or not happen. I've seen it all, and you can you can be the cleanest, most craziest person in the world, and you can come yeah. down with the most illnesses. And sometimes you can be the dirtiest human in the world and not ever get sick. Like it's just it's not luck of the draw totally, and you can yeah. do some things. But if you're gonna get something, you're gonna get it. Like still wash your hands, but don't worry too much. About what you can't control, right? Yes. Worry about what you can't control. I guess that is the washing the hands. So yep. I don't know. I get it. It's like, but everybody I see saying that, like, ah, oh, you're all scared. It's like, man, are, are you inside? Like, are you staying <laughs> home? Or are you out? Is there a boogaloo I don't know about? Are you waging setting the capital under siege? Because I don't know where we're supposed to join all you lions. <laughs> and sheeple, sheeple, you're in your houses. And I'm like, are you typing this from your desktop? Because. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I keep thinking too. Like the people who don't shake hands or wearing masks all the time and all, doing all like all the you know cleaning everything down. Unless you have an immune deficiency and you got diabetes, man. Like, I do. I mean, I wear a mask a couple times to Walmart, and now I'm like, I just don't think it's as. Anyways, but yeah, I mean, I'll wear a mask if I need to. Uh, I wash my hands and I'll use hand sanitizer. Like I stopped the gym from from. Competing, like I don't want people to get exposed. I don't want. I didn't want to do personal training lessons. Like I don't want to do three personal training lessons because that's that makes you a conduit, you know. And that's yeah. exactly what you can't know is if you're fascinating. But like now, you just have to follow the stats. And it's like if it's not that dangerous, then it's not that dangerous. If it is, then do what you can do, control your actions, but don't worry about the outcome, you know. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, that's Walk why I thought. That's why I thought what you said was so like was so awesome to that is like you walk out there you're like you're only worried about the things that you couldn't control it's all you can worry about right yeah. yeah it's pretty awesome man Bubba it has been an hour on the podcast alright awesome is it uh, give everybody a shout out like like let everybody know where they can find you find the gym uh, and if it opens again hopefully soon yeah. Uh, when they can Hopefully go, they yeah. right? Phase two, <laughs> yeah, phase two. But uh, let every, let everybody know so they can go follow you and and support the gym and what you're doing. Uh, bvmma.com. That one's probably the easy one. Bvmma.com. Brazos Valley Mixed Martial Arts. We're in College Station, Texas, and uh, everybody's welcome. Come try out a free week. Do some work. Awesome. Oh, thanks a bunch. Thank you. Pleasure. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast. Thank you again to Bubba for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Don't forget, support your local businesses. Tag them, screenshot them, repost them, shout them out, comment on them. Whatever you can do to help support them, let them know you're out there and get all through this together as a team, the better. And until the next episode, see ya.